Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast. Each week we take a deeper look at the texts we covered in worship on Sunday, and we do that by discussing things like historical settings, literary context, the way others before us have read the text, and our reflective approach to reading that same text. This podcast is a part of Calvary's Daily Connection, so we hope you check that out through Calvary's app or by going to connectwithcalvary.org. Well, today we're doing something uh, just a little bit different uh, on the podcast in the sense that we usually record this uh, after the sermon is preached on a Sunday, but uh, this week, uh, because of vacations and some other scheduling things, we're doing it before <laughs> the sermon. So this will be uh, interesting and um, predictive, I guess, of, <laughs> of what you're going to talk about, Randy. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see if these uh, things come to pass okay. or not. <laughs> well, the last... Uh Five or six weeks, we've been talking about uh, the lame man, uh, James and John and Philip and uh, the Ethiopian, and uh, I just felt like we couldn't move beyond this uh, set of Scripture here in Acts without uh, speaking a bit about Saul and um, his conversion and his transformation. And so I thought it might be interesting, uh, some pieces that I know that I'll not get to Sunday morning, is to think just a moment about uh, how Saul became Paul, one thing, and then the second thing was talk, to talk just a bit about uh, Paul was a Pharisee, and I think that had an impact on him, how he approached uh, what he spoke about Jesus. Um, and then we might touch a bit on the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were pretty significant. We were fortunate, I think uh, – well, not fortunate, it probably isn't the right word – but that Paul was a Pharisee and not a Sadducee, because Paul would have never journeyed the journey that he had. But let's go back for just a moment. Most folks, I think, believe that Saul became Paul on his Damascus Road conversion. But that really is not, the tr- is not, is not true. Uh, uh, Jesus called him Saul. Ananias called him Saul. Um, the Holy Spirit made reference to him as Saul. As deep into the book as Acts chapter 13, he was referred to as Saul. Uh, Saul was the Hebrew name that he was given. And uh, as that uh, name uh, uh, became a part of him, he was also then given uh, – the, the, the term is Koine Greek. It's a type of Greek language, and his name in the Greek was Paul. So for a good part of the time when he was in Damascus, up until the time he left Jerusalem to start his first missionary journey, he was referred to as Saul. And then that's where that transition began to happen. Um, it made sense that um, uh, because he was uh, in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem dealing with uh, folks from the temple or the synagogue that his Hebrew name would be used. But uh, when he began to move out to deeper areas of Gentile uh, means, the, uh, the Hebrew language was not used as much as the Greek language. And so that's where he became Paul. They referred to him as Paul. So I just – it's just a little tidbit about that, but I find that interesting. Most folks, I think, uh, um, believe that that became part of the conversion experience. I mean, God did change right. some names from like Abram to Abraham or like Jacob to Israel. Uh, he even changed Simon to Peter. Right, yeah. But this I don't think was the case. 
It was just, I think to have walked into some of the uh, towns that he walked into uh, as a Hebrew would have shut some doors for him. Well, sure. And, you know, Paul is always kind of going back and forth with uh, this this wrestling with who he who he is kind of as a citizen of the world mm-hmm. um, because he's a citizen of Rome, uh, which has some real good perks to it. But, you know, it's sometimes in contradiction with his old Judaism for sure and with this new uh, Christian faith as well. And so Paul kind of has a foot in a lot of different um, communities and he kind of puts the hat on that he needs to you know, at the moment, um, which is a great asset to him on his on his mm-hmm. missionary journeys, mm-hmm. and it it really is how he actually makes it all the way across there, as he's relying on these very different kinds of um, communities that he's a part of uh, in order to do that. And Paul, you know, going by Paul is mm-hmm. one way of uh, acknowledging that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't find any reference to this. I've often thought that sometimes he may have a adopted uh, Paul to his uh, to his namesake just because the Saul name for him particularly had such almost evil connotations to sure. it. Sure, yeah. And sometimes you'd almost like to take a name and change it to something else so you could get a right. fresh start. Uh, because uh, uh, I'll, I'll talk about this a bit more Sunday, but uh, the disciples at Damascus and the disciples in Jerusalem both had trouble with believing him uh, mm-hmm. that there was a change that it really happened, and right. so yeah. And even though you know, even though Luke, uh, the the writer of Acts, doesn't doesn't pinpoint you know this name change with Paul's conversion experience or Saul's conversion experience, mm-hmm. um, certainly as he's moving throughout the book, he refers to him more and more as Paul. And so by the time you get to the end of, of, mm-hmm. of Acts, there's there's this definite, um, the name means something. It doesn't mean something that's as stark as this night and day, but there is this transition mm-hmm. um, for sure that, that comes across in just the writing of that that text. And it's, um, it's much more organic and nuanced than, than we maybe thought it was, but, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to do that, I think, yeah. The other part to uh, Saul um, that uh, I think is missed is the importance of him being a Pharisee. Um, he grew up in Tarshish, outside of Jerusalem. Uh, now, somebody outside of Jerusalem was considered to be a little lower on the totem pole, mm-hmm. but he had been circumcised, he had followed all of that, and so yeah. there had been Pharisaic connections in his father and ancestors. And um, the reason I think it was important that we understand a Pharisaic connection as well as maybe even grateful he didn't have the uh, connection with the Sadducees. Both of those were sex. Jesus, S-E-C-T-S, sex. Yeah. Groups. Yep. (laughs) Um, And uh, Jesus was, uh, as a a whole, pretty hard on these folks. Right. Well, maybe it might be good to kind of break them out and talk about them um, specifically, and then uh, maybe talk about their comparisons and contrasts um, to each other. So uh, maybe start with the the Sadducees Mm -hmm. and then end up with the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. So who are these uh, Sadducees? The Sadducees were those who uh, believed in the written 
tradition of the Torah, mm-hmm. exclusively the written tradition. They were generally uh, the high priests were included in that group. Mm-hmm. They were more, just to use common language, they were more high society. Uh, they were uh, uh, and had an mm-hmm. air of high society. Yeah, probably fewer in number. Fewer too. in number. Mm-hmm. Although it's interesting, uh, in the uh, the body that made decisions for the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and they appeared several times, mm-hmm. uh, both in Jesus' life and in Saul's life, uh, the Sanhedrin was composed mostly of Sadducees right. with some Pharisees mixed in there. Right. So lower in number in terms of the general population, but higher in number in terms of decision-making bodies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that speaks a lot. <laughs> when we think uh, back to um, some conversations we've had earlier about the uh, political arena, they were not necessarily a political group, but they were certainly aware of the politics. Mm-hmm. And so when those who had been uh, who had been given the priesthood title, uh, they were much concerned about keeping Roman leadership happy, right. because the Rome had the power to pull that from them. Yes. And so, of course, that's what really set them on edge with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were just. Uh, uh, they were a much more conservative group. Yes. Um, sometimes, uh, and, and I'll probably make this comment with, with Pharisees as well, sometimes they're perceived as godless, evil, demonic people. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that's their nature. Uh, no. I think they understood God and how to worship Him in a particular way. Probably then had had manipulated that to some degree for their advantage. Right. Um, probably not to some degree. They had manipulated yeah. it for their advantage. And so, um, but someplace along the way, there was a connection to God, and their understanding of that connection was that uh, they were almost gatekeepers to that connection. And if you upset the apple cart, then you, for several reasons, you incurred their wrath. Right. Uh, and of course, they didn't want to upset the Romans with any kind of a ruckus either. So, yeah. they were they were very much invested in keeping the status quo. Uh, you know, for them, uh, they were uh, they were benefiting uh, from what was going on currently um, in terms of the Roman situation. And so, to upset anything, to uh, to to introduce any new ideas uh, into the scenario, not what they were about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very conservative in that way. Yeah, in um, in just wanting to keep things going the same. Yeah. Didn't believe in the resurrection, right? So that's another point that uh, gets brought out uh, both in the Gospels and in other literature of the time. Mm-hmm. But that is one of those big points um, with with the Sadducees, especially in comparison. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, they they had no. No real interest, almost in the afterlife at all. Not even just resurrection, but uh, you know, just kind of a well. We don't know, so we don't care. <laughs> almost to a place where you're just going to die. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. That's end of story. Right. So almost annihilationists mm-hmm. is a, a way that we would talk about it now. Um, you know, you might say it like you know, at the end, lights out. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so they, they uh, yeah, they, they held to that. I don't know that they would be uh, staunch um, champions of snuffing everything out, uh, but they certainly weren't for uh, all the scenarios that were being developed in that time about what the afterlife holds. Mm-hmm. They just didn't want any part of that mm-hmm. at all. Um, again, I think it plays right into this whole, you know, what is the status quo that we need to keep? And if we start getting people uh, riled up about what happens uh, after they die, then you've got all kinds of things on your hands. Right. And so they, again, this plays into their, I think their political uh, agenda, their agenda to keep things, you know, peaceable to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were an equally powerful group, maybe not as much uh, certainly during the life of Jesus, but after the destruction of the temple mm-hmm. in 70 AD, which was the second destruction of the temple, they became the power brokers of the Jewish faith. Right. Um, they believed in the Torah or mm-hmm. the written law but they believed equally as strong in the oral law. Right, in this kind of rabbinical tradition of saying, let's take the, let's take the books of Moses, but let's also uh, talk about the books of Moses, and then let's extrapolate from mm-hmm. the books of Moses, and then let's pass those down. And uh, so you didn't just have the law of Moses, but you had the law of Moses, and then what we think it means, and then what we think we should do because of what we think it means. And so, yeah, you end up with a lot more. Right. Yeah. But they were seen as kind of the progressives and the, um, the, the pious people of the day. I mean, in comparison to these other groups, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we would, if we were to see them today, we would say these are the serious people about, right. they're serious about their faith. <laughs> They had somewhat of a reputation of being hypocritical in terms of what they said and Mm -hmm. what they did. But that doesn't necessarily apply to just back then. No, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) But Saul used used his Pharisaic background at times to his advantage. When he was before the Sanhedrin, uh, mostly, mostly... Uh, Sadducees, some Pharisees, Mm -hmm. he talked about he was one who believed in the resurrection. So there was not a – he actually got the Sanhedrin into fighting with each other after he got arrested, which I thought was – Paul was no dummy. He knew knew what was going on. But I think about him uh, believing in the resurrection, believing in an afterlife, and believing really in application, a, a, a practical application of faith mm-hmm. um, as a good part of him. And I, I think that that core part of him, when he had his awakening conversion, uh-huh. had laid the foundation for that to happen. Oh, sure. Well, you know, uh, the I mean, the Pharisees are fairly responsible for kind of decentralizing Judaism in, mm-hmm. in general. So... You know, uh, up through up through the exile, up up to when Babylon comes through, it's it's very centered in Jerusalem. It's very centered around temple worship, and that you know that's restored again when they come back. But there's a different flavor to it because you add in the synagogue, which is the one of the major tools that Paul uses to spread mm-hmm. the gospel later. 
these synagogues are meeting places that are not Jerusalem, they're not the temple, they're centered around study and prayer and not around sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so the Pharisees are very, very instrumental in setting up this kind of new system of Judaism that's, study, that's centered around study and prayer. Uh, instead of just sacrifice, and so that that's a, yeah. th- that the, one of their major contributions, really, to uh, to the Jewish faith, and then by abstraction to Christianity as well, you know, and and Paul having that foundation and base to start with, right? Finally made that connection mm-hmm. to Jesus, right? Um, he is portrayed as extremely evil and vengeful. Prior to that conversion experience, mm-hmm. I reread I don't know how many times the story of the stoning of Stephen, right? Uh, and then his appearance before that same Sanhedrin, asking for papers to go to Damascus to persecute the people up there that were worshiping in that synagogue, right? Um, and um, he. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened, whether it happened when Stephen was stoned and the peace he had about dying, mm-hmm. uh, or the peace he had when he spoke to those who were stoning him, but something in there, I think, had an effect on Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, certainly getting blinded by a bright light would catch your attention, Sure, but... Um, I don't think it just happened at that moment. Yeah. One of the uh, statements, and you'll get just, uh, well, you'll hear this Sunday morning, uh, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, Some have said that the conversion of Saul didn't happen on the road to Damascus. It was the surrender of Saul that happened on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. And so I found that to be an interesting statement that he, he was not ignorant of God, in fact, he was motivated to honor God, even in his persecution and the manner that he did it. Right. And um, that moment when uh, he met Jesus on that road and he, he heard the voice of Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, mm-hmm. got his attention. Um, in fact, he considered himself an apostle because of that experience, although he had never walked with Jesus. So, Right. Yeah. Anyway, it uh, it's just uh, it's fascinating how God brought that about that Pharisaic that Pharisaic foundation that He had. Now, part of the Pharisees was also that they uh, they related to the more common people, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, Sadducees didn't. And um, it's really interesting that although he was a circumcised Jew. His heart, and we believe that was a Holy Spirit heart, but his heart was to reach out to the Gentiles, to the folks who weren't circumcised, to the folks who weren't worshiping even in the synagogues, who had no Jewish connection, because the Jewish faith up to that point in time has, was pretty exclusive. Y- yes, yeah. Um, some, yeah. <laughs> It, it definitely, after the exile, it, it definitely contracted into a, um, you know, kind of a more of a walled city mm-hmm. approach. Um, yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the Pharisees in general were, 
very much about you know purity, about setting themselves apart, about uh, keeping Israel on the right track. Um, yeah, and so for Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles is <laughs> it it's it's got its foundation in in the Pharisees, but boy, it's about as opposite as you can mm-hmm. as you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the practices. Um, of that time, we still carry forward today. Now we don't we don't uh, uh, confine ourselves just to reading the first five books of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, and we don't uh, confine ourselves to the high priest mode. Right. But um, certainly, the reading of the Scripture continues. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the Pharisees opened up the liturgical realm, and I think they were more liturgical sometimes in their approach, uh, but they opened up the prayer realm, and that became a huge piece uh, right. in the synagogue worship. Yep. Um, well, early, early Christian worship has more to do with the synagogue than it does with the temple, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that is in that, you know, it, it sounds weird to say it, but that's thanks to the to the Pharisees in some sense mm-hmm. um, and in Paul's and in the way that Paul spread the gospel he, he always went to the synagogue first wherever mm-hmm. he landed and tried to convince them of you know what was happening what had happened what was continuing to to move and 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 be shaped and um, and then sometimes he was received well and sometimes he wasn't received mm-hmm. well and uh, but he always he always started there that was a um, a reasonable place for him to to speak first, and that's because of his roots and because of, uh, I think, the format uh, of the gathering as mm-hmm. well. You know, really lent itself to that, to to being um, open to you know a continuation of the work of Moses, and not just this. You know, this happened, and now we've we've drawn this line, mm-hmm. which would be a very Sadducee thing, I think, yeah. to do, to say this happened back here. We're just gonna keep doing it the way we're doing it, and that's it. And um, you know, uh, Paul is certainly not that. <laughs> no. I think one of the things that he used to his advantage is he was a tent maker by trade, mm-hmm. and um, many times he would say, "I don't want you to support me financially um, because that's not why I'm here." And I think that tent making peace to him often gave him a ground to operate from right. when he went into lots of different places. First of all, put a little food on the table, but mostly mm-hmm. it gave him connections where he had no connections or relations. Right. And uh, that uh, that is uh, just a marvelous practice, I think, to mm-hmm. go in and be able to do that. And yeah. he sure made the most of that, I think. Right. Yes, for sure. Made the most of that. So. Well, any other... Um any other comparisons or contrasts that you want to pull out between those two groups that might be helpful for understanding um, Paul a little bit better and the spread of the gospel um, kind of under his wing? Um, actually, it was the persecution that the Christians experienced uh, that began with the stoning of Stephen that actually drove the gospel mm-hmm. outside of the city. Yeah. Uh, not only for Philip and others, uh, but certainly for Saul or Paul. Uh, that persecution drove him out. His non-acceptance, even even after his conversion, his non-acceptance 
I mean, he was lured in a basket at least once or twice out of town because they were ready to. Right. Um, and it's interesting that you look at that and you think, well, he was converted. He was, quote, saved, unquote. I mean, he gave his heart to Jesus. Why did the persecution and why did people go after him? Sometimes God has a bigger plan in that, mm-hmm. and that persecution is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um, in fact, I say this with tongue in cheek. I, I'm really not looking forward to living through those days, but that yeah. may be the healthiest thing that could ever happen to the church in this country. Right. It maybe, maybe you know, it's not the last thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know that uh, um, it's certainly bad. <laughs> you know, while it's going on, but it's not the final. Right. Not the final word. Yeah. Um, and and that's you know. That's good. <laughs> so I think in a lot of Paul's writings, we see, particularly in Thessalonians, comes to mind, uh, we see uh, the foundation of believing in, a, in another life and a better life, mm-hmm. and that comes out of Paul's, really comes out of Paul's background as a Pharisee, and then is shaped by his, uh, his faith in Jesus Christ. So. Yeah, he certainly has the background for saying there's uh, some kind of immortality to the soul. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a very Pharisee idea. Uh, so he he takes that and reinterprets that in, in light of Jesus. Um, he, uh, you know, I think one of the other smaller contrasts between the um, Pharisees and Sadducees that doesn't often get um, uh, kind of coaxed out is that the Sadducees are very much a kind of a free will, no fate uh, oriented uh, kind of folks, and the Pharisees were a little bit more, um, you know. There's a there's a divine uh, presence that's uh, kind of pulling the strings behind everything, mm-hmm. um, and so Paul is an interesting mix of those two. Where Paul is very much a uh, you have your own responsibility in this. Um, but also recognizing that there are uh, forces at work that are outside of your uh, personal control mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and I always found that interesting. Um, yeah, and we have to remember that Paul, you know, after his um, uh, kind of initial run up with Jesus, he takes a lot of time off <laughs> to kind of sort it all out mm-hmm. before he gets on the road and gets down to business. And we don't often, you know, uh, we don't often think about those. We don't often think about that time gap, but there's a pretty sizable gap there. Well, I think he spent three years in Damascus, mm-hmm. three years in Arabia, mm-hmm. uh, came back to Damascus, and then went to Jerusalem. Right. So my guess is, and again, it, uh, I think his time in Arabia probably, if I remember right, was referenced in Galatians, but there's not a lot of specifics to it. No. Um, but it was probably a time when he was trying to sort some of this stuff out, what this meant. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting to, to at least speculate about that time um, in Arabia, uh, because we've talked about two of the, the major movements in Judaism, Sadducees and Pharisees. Um, but the third one that was in play at that time as well is the Essenes, Essenes, which the Essenes are kind of, you know, a lot of people think John the Baptist came out of an Essene kind of community. Um, a lot of people attribute uh, kind of a lot of the work of Jesus as being very Essene in, 
in its material. Mm -hmm. And the Essenes were, you know, when you think about the Dead Sea Scrolls and where they found those in Qumran, and um, they're they're kind of more of a it's not a it's not a great parallel, but it's it's the, as close as we can get. They're more of a monastic community where mm-hmm. they're they're very uh, serious about living together and being um, uh, you know serious about a lot of things. But um, but they're this third kind of um, movement that that has play in the New Testament that doesn't get mentioned directly in the Gospels, but is kind of sitting underneath in terms mm-hmm. of its influence mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, Paul's time in Arabia certainly has that kind of flavor to it. So Paul kind of uh, dips his toe in, in all three right. major uh, major movements of Judaism at some point in time, which is which is quite interesting. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully that'll just uh, there you, you know, go, uh, kind of around the horn there, on, tickle on your horn. appetite just a bit to go and do some more reading in the Book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot go wrong reading through acts that's very true uh, i mean it really uh it really testifies to the power that transformed people have for jesus and so yep. anyway well we do want to thank you all for listening and uh, we love to keep the discussion going with you if you have questions or comments you can uh, do that on facebook or on the on the web email all those regular ways you uh, get in touch with us and uh, next week uh, we'll be back um with a deeper dive into uh, some Pentecost themes, I think, with uh, Lori Boltemeyer. So um, enjoy that. And uh, until then, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.